today is week 11. We are looking at Genesis 17. Now let me catch you up to speed. We are going on a 40-week journey through what we are calling Jesus Bible, the Bible that Jesus would have used. We call it the Old Testament. And we're in the midst of this this extended section in Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, and it's about this guy named Abram, whose name today in Genesis 17 gets changed to Abraham. That's how you might know him better. And what happens is this guy named Abram becomes absolutely essential. He is central to how God is bringing his restoration and redemption of our creation and our very selves about. Now, it starts in Genesis 12, where God just shows up to this guy named Abram, and he makes him a promise that changes everything. In Genesis 15, God takes that promise, and he ups it to a contract. He cuts a covenant with Abram. Today in Genesis 17, we're going to be talking about cutting something else. So what I'd like to do is invite you to open up with me to Genesis chapter 17 and follow along in the story of Abram turned Abraham. Now in 17.1, it says this. When Abram was 99 years old, let me come up for air, that is at least... 13 years later than the promise or rather covenant that God cut with him in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God cuts a covenant with Abram. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. You are going to be my image bearer and be a blessing and I am going to give you offspring as numerous as the stars in the heaven. It is 13 years later and Abram has one kid. And God appears again. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. What covenant? Well, here it is. It's the covenant that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. The covenant that I've just described very briefly that has been continuing and building and escalating chapter after chapter after chapter. And in verse 3, it says, Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You're going to be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. I'm going to change your name from one who means exalted father. I'm going to call you Abraham now because that means father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, this land that you now reside in is a foreigner. Abram, I give it to you as an everlasting possession. To you, but not just you, your descendants after you. And I will be their God. And then it says this. It says, God said to Abram, Abraham, 
As for you, you must keep my covenant to walk before me and be blameless, but you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, this also, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Say what? Every male among you shall be circumcised. Can't we stop at verse 8? Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign. Flag that. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, even those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh, don't miss the pun, will be cut off from his people. All right? He has broken my covenant. Guys, it it, it seems so arbitrary and so weird, but I got to tell you, this this chapter is so central to biblical theology and understanding what God is up to and how he began working with this guy named Abraham to get us to where we are today. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Now, I need to preface this. I want to show you this quote that has really made a big impact on me. It's from a songwriter, now deceased. His name is Rich Mullins. And he has an absolutely just cutting thing to say about the scriptures. And he writes this. The Bible is not a book for the faint of heart. Don't rush it. Let that soak. It's not, guys. It's a book full of the greed and the glory and the violence and the tenderness and sex and betrayal that benefits mankind. It's not the collection of pretty little anecdotes mouthed by pious little church. I love that line. It does not so much nibble at our shoe as it cuts to the heart. Splits the marrow from bone to bone. It does not give us answers fitted to our small minded questions, but truth that goes beyond what we even know to ask. Guys, the Bible is not a sanitized book, it has not been whitewashed or made PG 13 for your enjoyment. The Bible is raw and visceral and graphic, and real. And it's why I love it. Because it doesn't reduce life to fairy tale endings. 
And it doesn't take the depravity and the reality of what we face in this world and seek to sugarcoat it. It gets straight in. And it's not about a God who removes himself from it, but a God who gets into the thick of it, talking to people where they're at. And if you cannot come to terms with this, the Bible will forever remain at least a partially closed book to you. God chooses to communicate, often in the most graphic, straightforward, visceral ways. And so, guys, I want to invite you for the next little while to settle back for quite an unpleasant talk about circumcision. This will be a message that does not cut to the heart as much as it cuts to something else. Now, let's get into it. Today, most men are still circumcised, right? The trend is shifting. It is not quite as common, at least medical professionals will tell you, as it always has been. But in this day and age, it's just done because that's what's kind of done. Or maybe it's done with the idea of hygienic reasons, and it's often done in the hospital early on, a couple days in, and it is safely removed and sanitized from our sphere of experience, right? Let's face it, how many of us, and I don't need a show of hands, but how many of us really have ever witnessed a circumcision? even of our own kids. A couple maybe, right? Because we tuck unpleasant things like that away from us over there. But for God in the Old Testament, circumcision was very, very close to home. And if you go at it with the modern ideas that we have with it today, you are going to miss something very substantial about what God is trying to communicate and what is going on. What I'd like to do with you today is take you on a journey of the significance of circumcision and what it's all about in the Bible. And I'm going to share with you four things, four things central to grasp as you think about this covenant of circumcision that defined the people of Israel. First one is this. Circumcision is pain. It hurts. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I do not remember my circumcision. Because circumcision at its base level is cutting one of the most sensitive parts of a human body. We... we, uh, we woke up this morning at home, and you do this, you look outside, and the snow started coming down last night, and you're gauging, okay, what time do I have to leave in the morning? Are the roads covered? And I've got a Mustang, and if there's any infallible truth in this world, it's that Mustangs do not do well in snow. So it's like, um, family, let's get up and go together. Uh, and, and so we got the car up, got the car loaded, they all came in with me. We're driving together in the car, and, th and this is rare. We usually drive separate, but we start talking about the day. And I just kind of throw out there, yeah, we're, we're talking about circumcision today. All right, my 50-year-old son's in the back seat. What's that? Now, every parent has their own gauge for this. We tend as parents, Tina and I, to err towards the straightforward, honest, just 
blunt talk, all right? So we tell him, well, Ben, um, circumcision is this. There's an extra skin at the end of a, a male penis, and they cut it off. He goes ghost white. <laughs> Ashen. Dad, when do I have to have that done? <laughs> Dude, you thought shots were bad? <laughs> I tell you, he could, I've never seen a more happy child in my entire life when we let him know, no, dude, it was done, you, like two days old, you're long past. <sighs> because circumcision hurts. Now, last week when we talked about cutting a covenant, I, I asked for some volunteers to help us visualize. I was wondering if maybe there was a volunteer here who would be willing to come up today. Um... I do actually want to invite someone forward this morning. His name is Mark Chaffee. Uh, he's our worship director here at Fellowship of Faith. Mark, coming up. Mark and Julie, because they believe in witchcraft, decided to have a home birth for their third child. And, uh, which meant they had to engage in, 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 in the practice of circumcision in a slightly different way than us hospital folk. And Mark's just going to tell us a little bit about that experience here today. Yeah, as a new father of, you know, a boy, we, I got a knife set for uh, that bird. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, we had to, you know, it was very interesting because we had this conversation, as, as Dave mentioned, um, it is becoming, uh, the, trend, the trend is shifting a little bit more towards less and less boys actually being circumcised. And um, so 14 years ago when Zach was born, um, we kind of had to have a quick discussion because we did have him at home, but we thought we were having another girl. So when Zach came out, of course, you know, we were surprised, and, you know, the first thing out of my mouth was, oh, my gosh, my daughter has a penis. You know, <laughs> how's she going to deal with this? Oh, wait a second. And um, so we didn't have time to prep to really talk about it. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, we need to have this discussion. Um, do we circumcise them or do we not? And we went back and forth, the pros and the cons, and ultimately, Julie, my wife, was just like, uh-uh, no way, not going to do that to my kid, uh-uh, but you're the father, you're the dad, you're the male. <laughs> you understand this, I will let it be your decision. However, if you do um, want to have it done, there's a catch. You have to be in the room with him while it's being done. Hmm, okay. I mean, I'm conceptually thinking, I understand what circumcision is, right? You know, it's some extra skin, you know, those snip, snips. You ever have a skin tag? You know, you take the little clippers out, right? Uh-uh. Oh, no. So, uh, you know, we flip through the yellow pages looking for, you know, circumcisions are us or something. I don't know. And uh, we landed, I believe it was actually a rabbi, right, that we went to or something? Yeah. And he was actually, we were trying to figure out when it was, but he was a little older than two days. He was probably four to six weeks old, maybe, when we had this done. So, um, so we bring him into this room. And I don't know how graphic you want me to get, but holy cow, the first thing they do is they strap him on this board. They literally have a board that's made for this. And, you know, I don't know, he's doing all this kind of weird stuff and all this stuff around. But strap him on this board, and of course, Zach starts crying. I mean, you can see he's just, like, scared and that fear and, like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, the torture devices from the medieval times kind of come out, and they, they put it on him, and they, like, they're pulling foreskin around this. And I'm sitting there going, oh, and... Zach is like, he's starting to cry and heave, so he, like turning purple. I'm like, dude, breathe. And it was so painful. And they get out this thing, it looked like a, everybody have, anybody have an apple peeler? You know what this is? 
It was just like, and it, oh my gosh, he was screaming. He was in so much pain. It was painful for me. I'm sitting there going, oh, oh, I'm about to pass out. I'm like, I don't want to throw up on my son as he's having this done. And, but it was the most extreme pain I had ever seen to the point where I got out and I think Julie asked how to go and said, well, if our next child is a boy, he is not being circumcised. You can't let this image be dismissed. Circumcision is pain. Now, my bet that for, for Mark and their family, even though it was done in a less than traditional way, uh, compared to most of us in the hospitals, the fact is I'm sure it was done with surgical stainless steel. I'm sure that it was done in at least a semi-sanitary setting a sterile setting. I'm sure it was done in a day and age with the invention of soap. But think about what it was like for them back then. Now I'm going to put two things up on the board and I want you to kind of think about these in tandem. This whole thing begins in 17 verse 1 when Abram is eight days old, two days old. 99, days, 99 years old, right? Keep that in mind. And it says, the Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk with me and be blameless. And then later he tells him to be circumcised. 99 years old. Are you kidding me? Worse, he's got a 13-year-old son. Are you kidding me? Look at this passage from Joshua 5 and just get the imagery in your mind. We could just see Abram. Uh, yeah, Ishmael, uh, God came and talked to me again today. Oh, yeah, Dad, cool. What about? <laughs> well, as he pulls out the homemade flint knife. Happy 13th birthday, son. You see that rock over there? Uh, can you come with me? See, circumcision is pain. And what Genesis 17 says is that every male, if they want to be among the covenant people, have to be circumcised. There's something poignant there. It gives a moment's pause, doesn't it? Isn't it so easy to rush into things in this world and give exuberant commitments in the moment of inspiration or emotion without thinking it through? Think about what it's like in the ancient Near East to become one of the covenant people. Doesn't it give a moment's pause? This is going to cost you. This is going to hurt. Is this what you really want? And I think about that line where it says that God appears to Abram and says, walk before me and be blameless. Have you ever tried actually to be blameless? You know what I found? It hurts. And here's the reason why. Because being blameless often requires cutting. Cutting lifestyle. Or behaviors, 
relationships. Certain comfort zones and, and, and places of security, it hurts and will cost you. Circumcision, like being blameless, is pain. And it's no wonder to me that, that like Jesus will show up and, and you'll see these throngs of people following him because they are excited and they do want something and they are starting to get caught up in the vision and he will turn around and say, count the cost. Count the cost. Because being part of the covenant people, it's going to cost you. It is going to hurt. It is as inevitable as death and taxes. Circumcision is pain. See, circumcision is something more than just pain. It's also a reminder. See, the whole thing gets prefaced, right? With God coming and cutting a covenant with Abram. And he cuts this covenant and he says, I've chosen you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you this land. And your offspring, well, here it is one more time. Like the stars in the heaven, like the sand on a beach, and Abraham is 99 years old, and he's got one kid. I know about you, I mean, the dude, I guess, was a stud, but he just seems really beyond childbearing years, doesn't he? You know, sometimes we need reminders, don't we? When promises are slow in coming. Sometimes we need reminders when things are so out of sight, out of mind. How easy is it for each of us to, to hear these promises God makes and to not really see them manifesting right then and there? And to just forget how easy is it in our life when we base our lives on things and the fruit of the labor doesn't come. To just forget. To doubt. Fundamentally, at some level, to just not take it seriously anymore. And so what God does is he comes to Abram and he says, I've cut a covenant with you, now you're going to cut a part in this covenant with me. And have you ever noticed that God has the most wonderful sense of humor? Because think about it, and you got to get visceral on this. To make sense of this, what does Abram have to cut? the very organ or instrument that is going to bring that about, right? This is not random. God is having him cut a sign in the very tool through which God will bring his covenant promise and blessings. Does this make sense? I mean, think about that. What that means, that every time Abraham has sex, there is a visible reminder. I am 99 and have one kid. God has made me a promise. 
that every time he sees the very thing through which that promise should come, God is reminding him, I have made you a promise. I mean, we ask for signs from heaven. God's got a different way of giving them sometimes, right? Because that's the kind of God he is. You know, it's actually even been said just as a sidebar that no devout Jew would ever dare defile the sign of the blessing. What does that mean for sexual ethics? That no devout Jew whom God has given this sign would ever dare defile it in a way that was not pleasing to him. Because a sign like a flag or a cross you wear on a neck, it means something and it means something deep. And to defile something like that is the same as burning a flag or trampling a cross on the ground. You just wouldn't do it. You hear me? And so God gives a reminder. Now, circumcision is something else. Three. Circumcision is a metaphor. Now, the literal side of circumcision is cutting. But more specifically, it is cutting a covering over an organ. And as a result, it makes it more exposed and sensitive. The biblical writers pick up on this and say that God has tucked within this this literal act a deeper reality, an image of something else. And that circumcision at some level becomes a sign for removing the covering of something else as well. Read this from Deuteronomy. And this. God comes to Abram. This is the sign between you and me. You're to be circumcised. Circumcised what? Your heart. Your heart. Because you know it's easy for our heart to get a protective covering on it as well. One of the most common metaphors in the Bible for people who are resistant to God is hardness of heart, all right? Now, in in this day and age, the metaphor kind of always worked for me at like a cholesterol level. You you, you know, you eat too much fat, the fat starts junking up your arteries and getting around your heart and it starts to get like crusty and calcified and it just stops working. That works for us, but you know what? They didn't know about cholesterol in the ancient Near East. They had a different metaphorical connection that came out of it as well. And the way that I'd like to talk to you about it is this. It's another metaphor that you'll also see. Not only will people who are resistant to God be called heart of heart, they will be called calloused. A callous of the heart. Now, now, fundamentally, what is a callous? I have calluses. Many of you have calluses. What is a callous? It's a piece of your skin that has grown hard. It's grown hard from being exposed to something, probably manual labor, again and again and again, right? And what the callus does is it hardens and protects. It protects yourself from being rubbed too raw. It protects you from pain. It deadens sensation. 
It protects you from being exposed and vulnerable. Are you with me? See, all of us to some degree have a callus on our heart. And I ain't kicking you in the teeth on it because you know what? It actually does something of a good thing. It protects you. It protects your heart from the sin and pain that are a reality inside of yourself and in this world. Have you ever come face to face with real suffering? How does that feel? Have you ever looked at suffering and evil being propagated in this world? And we can make a list right now on a dry erase board if we wanted, right? Have you ever looked at it and had a moment where it penetrated your protective layer and struck you in your core? Have you ever looked at sin in your own life? I'm not talking some like theoretical way or, you know, academic lesson or just church talk kind of thing. I mean, really came face to face with sin in all of its ugliness and pain in your life and been struck. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts so bad it will bring you to your knees. So what do we do? We set up protective layers around our soul to insulate that sin and that pain out to deaden the sensation and make us not quite so exposed and vulnerable. But there's a dangerous side effect. Because just like a callus in the process, what it does is it deadens us to the things that break God's heart. It deadens us to his voice, his prompting, his conviction, his spirit. God comes to Abraham and he says, I've made a promise with you and I want you to be a covenant people. Walk before me and be blameless. Stay exposed, sensitive, Stay sensitive to what I am looking to do in this world. Circumcise your hearts. See, circumcision was never just circumcision, but flesh. It was always more than that. It was about circumcision in here which leads to this fourth thing. It becomes about identity. Circumcision was the way that defined who the covenant people were. I like signs. Um, Signs are very helpful things, yeah? You ever been on a road? Like, remember this pre-GPS you know, and also ubiquity that you like map quest something and, and you're, you're, you're trying to get somewhere and some fool thought it would be a good idea to save money in the county and not put like street signs up at the intersection. 
You ever have these moments? And you're like, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go, right? Signs are helpful. You ever, uh, you ever go to like a public restaurant or something and like some dork is taking down the male and female bathroom signs? Signs are important. And think of the signs that say things like bridge out, danger, caution ahead. See, signs at their fundamental nature are not about themselves. A sign doesn't go, I'm a sign, I'm so great, it's all about the sign, right? The entire point of a sign is to point you towards something more important, greater, better. A sign is not the substance. Are you with me? Problem. What happens when a sign is no longer accurate? See, um... I remember this time, and I, I, oh, I wish we had a picture of this. Back about 10, 12 years ago when my wife and I were living in the, the Rockford area, there was a population explosion happening on the east side of Rockford, the west side of Belvedere, and housing was outpacing infrastructure. We know a little bit about this in McHenry, right? And there was this sign, it was fantastic. Someone put in this, this beautiful like, like four-lane road it was still rural, and it was this four-lane road, and there was a sign that said, road open. Four feet beyond the sign was a cornfield. You know, 65 going along, boom, all right, well, I guess we're not harvesting this front 20. This, you know, what happens when the sign is no longer accurate to the substance because something has changed? It's not the sign's problem. It's just no longer pointing in the right way. I want you to think about this as well. Circumcision was an identity marker. An identity marker is not the same as identity. There are things like a name that point to my identity. So Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, but Abraham doesn't bring about the name Abraham, the reality that his name points to. Are you following me? A sign works the same way. Circumcision was an identity marker. Tell me what's easier. To determine someone's identity marker or their actual identity. Let me phrase it this way. What is easier to determine if someone is circumcised of flesh or circumcised of heart? You know, I mean, it might be awkward. <laughs> but at least it's kind of black and white, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, 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 it's, but how do you tell if someone is circumcised in here? And see, the problem, and I think especially for people like us who gather in rooms like this on days like this at this time of the day, is markers can easily substitute for actual substantive identity. I was having this uh, conversation. It was uh, with this guy who was an avowed atheist. And um, he got together intentionally with me because he wanted to just, he liked to fight. And uh, that was cool. I liked doing that. We, we grabbed lunch down at Dukes and Crystal Lake. And he, he, he ran an, uh, an, uh, an atheist blog and was looking for any church that would be willing to debate with him. And he asked me a question. And it was a question that was baited. 
was a question that he would ask religious leaders of every kind of persuasion because in his mind, it was fundamental. And in his mind, no one could give him a straight answer. Here's a question. What's a Christian? And what makes someone a Christian? Now, immediately, I bet if I ask you that question, what makes someone a Christian, your mind is going to start running to all kinds of identity markers. Be baptized, join a church, do good works. Okay, Protestants, have faith. Faith is not the substance. Faith is a marker. You know what a Christian is? It's someone who is born again. Born from above. Transformed. Regenerate. A new creation made alive in the spirit resurrected. It's just about a dozen different ways and there's more of ways that the scriptures will describe someone who is in Christ. How do you know? How do you tell? And the the reality is God does it, doesn't he? I don't know how God's going to make you a Christian. He's probably going to do it through a thousand different ways. It's going to be different than how he did it in my life. How often we want to trade substance for sign. And this is what the New Testament picks up on. Look at this this, this statement Paul makes about circumcision. How, in the truest sense of the word radical, of meaning extreme but getting at the core, he addresses it. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Do you know what the three keys of being a Jew were in Jesus' day? Am I circumcised? Do I keep Sabbath? Do I keep kosher? You think that makes you a Jew? Now what makes you a Jew is what happened in here. Because a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, of spirit, not by the written code. And that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. Circumcising hearts. Transforming lives. Making alive those who were dead and making new creations out of those who are old and should be discarded. God gives a sign. He doesn't give one, there's a bunch. But the key one is this. Faith. Faith. A heart that inclines towards God. A heart that trusts God. A heart that throws itself on God's mercy. A heart that says, God, let my heart not be calloused. Circumcise it. This is what it's always been about. From day one, when God shows up to a man named Abram, and he says, I'm going to bless you. 
and through you, I'm going to bless this world. And your descendants are going to fill this globe. My covenant people. Circumcised. Right here. Covenant people. I invite you to rise. It is not by mistake that Jesus, when he found himself on that night he was to be betrayed, took covenant language and applied it to himself. This is what he said. It says that on the night he was betrayed, he took some bread. And it says that he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, the covenant people. And he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And then it says he took a cup. And he gave it to them. And he gave thanks to God. And he said, drink of this, all of you, because this is a new covenant, a new contract, a promise, a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. May this be a sign so that you remember the promise I have made to you. Covenant people, I invite you to come and partake of this sign and remember. To ask God to circumcise your heart. To accept the pain. To embrace it. Put these words on your voice with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want...